Seahawks Man to Man is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. Whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to mantoman.robinhood.com. That's mantoman.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rmbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here. I'm our co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You can follow me at Mike Dugar. That is M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at C-K-I-D-D-206, and that's C-Kidd-206. All right, we got a special guest with us in the building here. We have David Shields, best-selling author and filmmaker, uh, most recently uh, created the documentary film Lynch, a history about Marshawn Lynch's use of silence, echo, and mimicry as key tools of resistance. Uh, you can go get that. You can go check it out, excuse me, on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, uh, and Vimeo. Uh, it's a great film. Uh, I watched it a few times now. Chris, you have yes. uh, as well. And so we welcome David to the show. David, what up, man? Thanks a lot, you guys. Uh, great to be here. Oh, thank you. Thank you for uh, making some time for us. Uh, you may, When did the film drop? Uh, June 3rd, 2017, the world premiere, so-called, was at Seattle International Film Festival. And I had a memorable moment where when we showed about 12 times Super Bowl Forty Nine, Russell Wilson throwing the pick at the end of the game, that we showed it like 12, 15 times like the moment from Psycho, like, eh, 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 like that. Like the audience literally started booing and just said, please <laughs> shut it off. We cannot watch this freaking thing anymore. Yeah, that's a sore spot around yeah, around here. I think uh, that's probably what the most heartbreaking pl- sport, Seattle sports moment of the, of the decade. Or it's sure. hard to think of anything that would be more, I mean, again, I don't want to torture us or torture our audience with endless reiterations of that. It's hard to think of anything in Seattle sports history that would be more not Maybe tragic. not a single moment. That not a single, single moment. moment is very, that, yeah, that, that, one, that, that one hurts. Right. Uh, but the, the, the Marshall Lynch documentary I thought was interesting, and, and it's about his life, uh, right. uh, but it kind of has a theme that, uh, you know, we talked about silence a little bit. Like he's, he almost like is a silent protester through the press. Uh, and kind of focuses on on that team. He's a rebellious figure. Seems to be very anti-establishment, is what I uh, like to say. And that's made him uh, an attractive figure, not only in this city but but nationally. So he perfect uh, subject for a for a film. Uh, is that did it, is any of that what inspired you to to make the film? I mean, absolutely. I mean, there's so much to 
to comment on there that in a way the film was born with, by my admiration of Marshawn. I was born and raised in the Bay Area and I was sort of the son of very politically active parents. I also had a horrible stutter as a kid and I felt like part of me, you know, I grew up in different circumstances than Marshawn, but I felt like I got wired into how underneath silence, self-imposed silence or strangulated silence can be immense passion, immense fury. That, you know, as a kid, I had trouble talking. And so it just somehow, it made me just very connected to Marchand's silence. Marchand's quite elegant. He speaks beautifully when he wants to. But um, I feel like that kind of, connected me to him in some strange way, or it, it made me passionate about making a film about someone for whom silence was oddly uh, powerful speech. And so in, in my own little life, I've turned, you know, I've become a writer, I've written 20 books, and in a way I've turned, you know, silence into a different kind of speech. But anyway, the film is very much about Marchand's silence, how it was born in Oakland, I mean, so much of the film is about how his subversive silence is such a product of Oakland. Everyone says that Marchand's a product of Oakland. Everyone knows that. You know, if you if you want to understand Marchand, go to Oakland. But I didn't didn't realize how powerfully his strategy is Oakland based. You know, so many so many prominent athletes, musicians, activists, writers have come from Oakland. And so many of their strategies are born from, I would call it sort of wily subversion, you know, subverting the dominant paradigm. Don't speak in the master's voice. You know, I don't know if you can swear on the show, but, you know, f*** up the master's voice. You know, don't, don't speak in the language that you've been, that's been imposed upon you. Everyone from, you know, Gertrude Stein to Tupac are trying to demolish the culture's language, whether you want to call it the Black Panthers, the Hells Angels, the Oakland Raiders. There's a serious stance of f*** you in all these people. And that's Marshawn. Um, very, very much so, yeah. Now, the film, it was, you when you usually watch documentaries, there are, you see it in one way. You see interviews. Right. Talking, talking heads, about, yeah. Talk, talking heads, perfect. The way you did it was phenomenal. I personally have never seen it done this way. Thanks, Chris. And I'm going to try this term. Mike and I have been trying to go. Just say it confidently, man. Just be confident. Let it go. Here we go. Kaleidoscope. Am I close? Am I hitting it? Yeah, no, that's it. You nailed it. Okay. Yeah. Now, that type of documentary puts collages, different voices, and it tells a story. And I thought it was perfectly done with Marshawn and how it was said. Why did you choose that direction instead of going the quote-unquote traditional way of things? Sure. I mean, that's a long story, which I'll try to explain as succinctly as I can. You know, four and a half years ago that we approached Marshawn and Marshawn's agents and said, we, you know, we want to make a movie that's a love song to Marshawn, that I'm a huge fan of him as a player, a person, an activist, a rebel, uh, someone who messes with the media to make large cultural statements. And, you know, would Marshawn want to participate? And he said, you know, his st- his stance throughout for the next four and a half years was that we won't impede you, but we don't care to participate. 
So that took all of the talking heads approach off the table. We could have done what Mike would know as sort of a journalistic workaround where, mm-hmm. you know, the subject won't talk to you. And so you go talk to the subject's third grade teacher or whatever. And somehow the Marchand's, you know, crew, he's going to tell them all not to talk to me anyway. So we had those doors closed. So we either said, let's kill the film or because some of the books I've done in the past have done a lot of remix and appropriation and repurposing, I'm very comfortable with the idea of taking a lot of material, in this case found on the web, and remixing it to make a larger point. So that we spent years finding stuff on the web. It was really important to us to have the film feel like that you're not watching TV, that you're not watching a broadcast, that you're not watching Monday Night Football. Instead, the way that we wanted it to feel was that you're trapped inside a GoPro camera inside Marshawn's helmet during Beastquake 3.0. And the movie, you know, it starts, it stops, it stutters, it reverses, it zooms forward, it zooms back, it freaks you out, it confuses you, it repeats, it echoes, so that that we wanted a film that was congruent with not only Marchand's running style, but Marchand's cultural style. And so that, that we wanted to make a film, frankly, that he would like, that he'd be proud of, that he'd feel like, I'm down with that. And I hope, I believe that we, that we succeeded. Nice. And then the next part is, what has Lynch's response been to the film? Has he said, hey, I loved it? What did he... We know how Marshawn is. Right. What was that response? Because I personally enjoyed the film, and I liked the way it was done in the style because I believe it fit Marshawn, whereas you put yeah. up Talking Heads, that's not Marshawn. Exactly. Been more, it would interesting, but what was his take on it afterwards? Well, that we showed, you know, um, <clears throat> when Marshawn and his, his representatives understood the film was indeed coming out, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, they asked us for a Vimeo link to the film. and We sent it to, let's say the film dropped June of 2019. And so maybe around April, we sent him and his reps a Vimeo link. And we never heard from them. But in this case, we took silence as an implicit approval, but we weren't sure. that We thought if they were upset about it, they'd have said, hey, what's going on here? But we showed the film in Oakland. I did a, a couple of screenings at an Oakland theater with Michael Smith from ESPN. That he and I did a talk back session afterward. And I also did a conversation with uh, Dr. Harry Edwards, who's in a way the creator of the whole field of sports and sociology. And that we did a talk back about the film as well. Audiences, you know, sold out audiences. People generally liked the film. And then afterward, I was just sort of hanging out outside the movie theater talking to Michael Smith and ate. Other, other people, and up comes Marshawn Lynch <laughs> sauntering over, and it's like, you know, it was, you know, a little uncanny, surreal, and he just started saying, and he's, you know, he, we spoke for about 10 or 15 minutes, and I won't sort of give you the whole thing. It was generally, I would say, a very positive conversation. The, a couple of the most memorable things he said were, I thought this was fascinating. I'd be curious what, what you guys think. He said, I wanted to hate on you, but I couldn't because you did a damn good job with it. Mm. And I'm not just saying that to brag. It meant that he liked it, but he had a complicated 
reaction to it. I'm curious what you guys think of it. I have my own reading of it, but that was the essence of, of what he said. The way I took it to mean was, I wanted to hate on you, i.e., how dare you make a movie about me without my active participation? But I couldn't means like, hey, I actually watched it a couple of times and I sort of dug it, I think, I hope, because you did a damn good job with it. I mean, he actually liked it. I mean, to me, that was an Academy Award, you know? Yeah. Well, I was, I'm mostly impressed you talked to Marshawn for 10 or 15 minutes. I, I mean, know just you that, that right there, I think uh, that's an accomplishment. It's a good point. Uh, in itself. Yeah, no, that's a, it, it's like a weird compliment that I'm used to hearing. The, uh, like, I, I didn't even want to like it. But, but I do. Sometimes you'll hear it uh, expressing, man, I can't even be mad. That's exactly right. how people it has preface, that feeling. preface that. Yeah, that, right. that means and, he enjoyed it. I know. And then he also said, I mean, I'm not particularly smooth, but he said, you smooth at the end. <laughs> and also I said, a big compliment. And, exactly. Yeah. That's a, and then he also said, it was. I think I told you guys this. This was fascinating, too. At one point, it was eight black guys, including Marshawn and me speaking. And I felt totally fine, you know, because Marshawn was being very complimentary but he said at one point i'm gonna come over and stand next to you so you don't think we're gonna all gang up on you it was meant as a joke Mm. but it did break the ice everyone laughed exactly and i started sort of shoving him playfully you know and it was just to me it was an incredibly marshawn thing to do to break the fourth wall which marshawn always does in media gatherings like when he says i'm just here so i won't be fined, it's a way to say, I'm aware that camera's there and I'm gonna I'm going to mess with that camera. To me that was kind of similar to him saying, like, I'm aware this might be a kind of weird moment, and I'm gonna make the moment pop by actually talking about the subtext, which is, you know, here's a white guy and eight eight black guys and that were in Oakland and you've just shown a film about me. <laughs> I'm going to dissipate the tension by actually making that subtext manifest, if you see what I mean. Like, I'm going to actually say what we're all feeling, which to me was so beautiful and so gracious. I thought it was just an incredibly beautiful thing. Yeah, uh, Marshawn, basically, if you would add, like, I don't know, a director's cut or something like that, he gave you some perfect uh, ammo when he returned to the Seahawks this year. With the, I know what you mean. The Take Care of Y'all Chicken, which I, he's already... Uh, gone viral. Yeah, right? I know. He's already got clothes, <laughs> shirts, and, and I stuff. I know. Oh, it's 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 beautiful. What was the... What did he say when he first came back? Oh, Merry New Year. Yeah. I know yeah. that was like, he can't not do interesting things with language. Like, Merry New Year is just a hundred times more interesting than yep. Happy New Year. Yeah, because there's some people, uh, you know, I'm in the Seahawks locker room all the time. There's some right. people who don't want to talk. And then they get forced to, for whatever reason, had a big game, sure. whatever. And they, they're just awful because that's just not their thing. I know you what know. you mean. And they'll basically don't, they do this thing in which they are literally calling up cliches every second. Like, okay, he, on they, it seems like players often have a few modes. One is silence and one is just, I'm just going to give you every cliche in the book. Then mm. the, the third, well, anyway, I, I didn't, didn't mean... No, to no, interrupt well, Mike, well, but <clears throat> I think what's interesting, well, one about Marshawn, it's like, yeah, he doesn't really want to talk. But when he does, it's fantastic. Exactly. Uh, and uh, you got at this a little bit. His relationship with the the sports media seems to be very interesting and like rebellious is the word I like to use because uh, in that in that Deion Sanders clip that also went viral from the Super Bowl, I believe right. it's the first Super Bowl. Yeah, forty eight. Yeah. Yeah. He says, uh, you know, before he says about that action, Deion asks him, "Are you shy?" And he's very dismissive. Not just says exactly. no. He's like. 
like excuse no. me yeah like, no like shy <laughs> me no. no what are you talking about Prime? i know what you mean yeah and i think that's really important because i agree he's not just it's not like he's anti-press or i know i kind of remember when he wasn't talking there was like rumblings like oh maybe he has like a social anxiety or I something i know what you like mean that. or has trouble talking or i know what you mean like that's an easy mode like he's shy like i know it was i agree with you he pushes back really strongly against the Dion question, he goes, no, I'm not shy. And then he says something like, that's just not my thing. I stay in my lane. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a way, I would say the origin of the film was me just, as everyone did, I just was so enraptured by those five minutes of him and Dion. It was just amazing performance art to me. It's like, how could someone be this good for five minutes? Like, He seems like he's doing it in this effortless way, but there's everything he says during that interview is just lands perfectly. And I felt like this guy has serious performance chops. Like he has such command of his language and his his posture, you know, the shades and the cap and even the way that at one point he sort of reaches inside Dion's suit and sort of says, hey, you're wearing some cool threads too yep. or something. <laughs> and he totally breaks the fourth wall there too. And I just said, I got to get, I got to understand how this guy got to such, I would say, sort of control of his own self. He's so comfortable in his own skin. I think uh, a lot of people, because Marshawn used to do a lot of regular sports media. I know uh, what you mean, like yeah. in Buffalo, you're yeah, saying? Like or he did the, where'd he go with Kenny Mayne? Applebee's, I think, or maybe yeah, Dave that, and Buster's? Yeah. The, uh, like he was, he's very, he was very open to, you know, the traditional sports, sports right. media, because he isn't shy. Like, no. You know, like, just the other day I was watching, um, a conversation with him and J. Cole and uh, Ryan Coogler, director of uh, Black Panther. Sure. They did a sit-down on MLK Day, I believe it was at a church. Uh-huh. Looks, I forget where it was. I think right. it was in California. Probably you Oakland, know, yeah. Or... It was like 30 minutes of them just marching on stage with uh-huh. a rapper and a, and a, and a filmmaker just, right. just talking, no shyness. You know, he had a whole TV show on Facebook. Sure, uh, sure. Uh, you know, when, when he, that year he retired, he was in England riding a bike. and <laughs> Doing everything. Right. Yeah, he, he was, where was he on? Conan, where did he jump into Skittles at? Was that Conan, Conan? yeah. Conan, yeah. yeah <laughs> dudes on everything. And were you able to, because this is a question even I haven't been able to find a good answer for it. In your research, were you able to pinpoint when kind of the rebellion against that specific form of media the sports media kind of began like what maybe prompted that because he seems to just not like us us i, I know mean, you like mean sports the writers. media right yeah this particular media though. i mean there's a few points i wanted to say in response to what you said i think the first point i wanted to say mike is the first point that you made is so crucial to me which is he's quite eloquent when he can speak in his own terms on his in his own language, for instance, if he's talking to Ryan Coogler on MLK Day, what is so powerful for me is that he doesn't want the imposition of, to me, corporate media pushed down his throat. So if you're going to impose your language, whether it's sports cliches, corporate cliches, you know, heavily white media cliches, like, I'm not going to speak in your language. So for me... It's really telling that he'll do a commercial, first of all, if he's paid handsomely for it, and or it's in a rhetoric and an idiom that he's comfortable with. So to me, that's a really important part of it. As to your larger question of when the Marchand, who is a user of silence as a form of resistance, was born, 
to me, a revelation of research on the film was how crucial Buffalo was to that. Oh, yeah? To me, he was a relative, you know, through, through Oakland, through Cal, he was not in any way some, you know, voluble commentator a la Russell Wilson, who's, right, you know, right. providing sports cliches every second. But he was relatively um, standard comportment, sort of vis-a-vis the media. Then in Buffalo... You know, he was drafted by the Bills in the first round and played a few years there. And there's a couple of relatively minor traffic accidents, one in Culver City, California, and one in Buffalo. And that, you know, he his his understanding was that the Buffalo media were quite happy to take relatively minor incidents and blow them up into sort of racist caricatures mm. and treat him as, you know as Marshawn's Oakland High School coach said, you know, as sort of this, you know, dreads, Oakland, thug, et cetera. And that Marshawn constantly felt that he, that he, his words, that, you know, uh, a reporter would be in the locker room and be all friendly, and then he would read the following day or see in a broadcast uh, a one-dimensional cartoon of himself. He goes, that's not happening again. If I don't speak, they cannot use my words against me. Mm. And I think that he's even said as much in an interview I read with him after the film was made. And then I think as he came to Seattle, he sort of doubled down on that strategy. And to his surprise, I think, it developed cultural traction both because the Seahawks became more popular, the eloquence or the the silence developed a sort of mystery about it. As he became increasingly an all-pro player and a famous player, people wanted more and more to hear about him. People were baffled by, by that. He was willing to pay large fines. So in answer to your question, Mike, I would say, crucially, Buffalo... Uh, hugely kind of weaponized that silence for him. You know, mm. he he felt treated and abused by the media there and said to himself, I think, that ain't happening ever again. Well, you hear that, Buffalo? It's your fault Marshawn doesn't talk. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Mike and I were, before we hopped on and got going, we were actually talking about, why doesn't he talk? What happened? Right. Because Dion, in that interview... Later on, after the Super Bowl, I believe it was, Dion says someone wronged him. Right. In the media. I don't mm-hmm. think it was anywhere else. I think someone wronged him. And you kind of hinted at that with the media in Buffalo. Right. He does one thing, says this, and they spin it to get the hits or whatever the case may be. I and know. that's not what Marshawn even alluded to or said. And right. Now you're painting a picture, and as to your point, Nah, that's not going to happen. What we're going to do now is silence. Y'all going to spend my words? I got you. I'm exactly. not going to speak. It's exactly. And he's held that ever since. And hearing you touch on that, it's like, wow, it makes sense. The only thing I would add, Chris, is I do think a crucial part to also mention, which the film gets to mainly through Marshawn's mom, is that I think there's a powerful division in Marshawn between his mom who said relatively little but had his back every step of the way, it still does, and Marshawn's dad, who was always full of reassurance and was always vanishing. 
and that there's a wonderful line from Marshawn's mom, Delisa, who says, don't talk about it, be about it. Mm. It's like so eloquent. And that she, that it's a very powerful trope to Marshawn is your words mean nothing to me. You know, I feel like I don't pretend to understand the psychology between Marshawn and Marshawn's dad, but there was a strong sense of Marshawn's dad being full of rhetorical reassurance, like, I'm there for you, son. And then he would, he was in jail for most of Marshawn's life and still is, I believe. And um, so this whole idea of what do you do, what do you say is a really powerful thing for him. And so I would add that in as a background to why Buffalo was a turning point for him. It has a very deep childhood background as well, I think. Yeah, there's there uh, featured in in the film as well. And uh, again, thank you, David Shields, uh, who uh, you wrote, directed, and produced. I did, yeah. Yeah, Lynch, a history. Uh, rec- definitely recommended for us Seahawks fans out there. You got time in the off season. Uh, <laughs> yeah, go check exactly. it out. In, Alas, yes. In, in the film, you see there was people in there I didn't expect to see in a film about Marshawn Lynch. You mentioned like Tupac or, or uh, Stokely Carmichael. Uh, there's a, uh, Malcolm X is in there. Yep. I think a couple couple times. Like yes. we got right. we got James we got, Baldwin, of course. Yeah, oh, I was going yeah. to throw that in there. You yeah, it, it. and it's <laughs> and it and it made me think about Marshawn in a role that he's not often associated with, but it's one that's like you know he's it it makes sense as Marshawn as an activist. Uh, you know, he was someone who's not associated with protesting during the anthem, but right. was doing so. Right. Uh, whether he was in, and I think the Mexico, sure, uh, the scene Mexico was, City one, right, is very very powerful uh, there. What did you learn? about Marshawn Lynch as an activist in, in making this film. Right. That it's, you know, as you say, Michael, that he's not, you know, he's not Michael Bennett, who, you know, is overtly political. He's not even Sherman, who's more directly expressive of his, of his own politics. You know, he's not obviously Muhammad Ali or um, obviously Kaepernick either. And I think one thing that, in a way, the argument of the film, which I think is persuasive, you know, some people find it persuasive, some people don't, but in general, I think people find it persuasive, is, you know, there are many ways to question the system. You could run for office, you could march in the streets, you could speak from a podium, you could write an article, you could write a book, but, you know, there's a weird traction to silence. Like, if you don't accept what I would call the master's voice. And obviously, you know, as you would know better than I would, you know, there's a centuries-long African-American tradition going back to slavery in which silence is its own eloquence. It's its own blues. You know, it's its own power to not speak in the master's voice. And, you know, given if Marchand were, say, a white player, like, you know, there have been certain white athletes who haven't spoken to the press, like, who was that that pitcher on the Philadelphia Phillies a long time ago who would never speak to the press? I forget his name. But anyway, like because of the history of this country and because of, of Marchand growing up in Oakland, to me, that Marchand's silence, you know, always resisting, for me, a largely white press corps, it has a cultural traction that it wouldn't have otherwise. When I showed the film in Los Angeles... Um, an Oakland rapper named, um, uh, I think his name is Ice Life. Is that someone you've heard of? I don't think he's a hugely prominent 
rap or time to do some Googles. Uh, Go ahead. Go ahead. I think it's spelled like I S Y E L Y F E or something like that. that Anyway, that he came to the L.A. screening of the film, and he made such. I don't know if I if I nailed it at all, Mike. Does any any name come up like that? Uh, Keep keep going. Oh, uh, anyway, I don't want to interrupt the podcast, but um, and it's possible I have his name slightly wrong, but um, um, Ice. Life, if that's his name, made a great point. He he said, "No, but no black kid in Oakland is going to see Marshawn's resistance to the media as anything else than refusing to talk to the police." That's interesting. Isn't that powerful? I mean, obviously, that's a subjective opinion that the white media are not. The police, he, he, you know, fr- finally, Marshawn is a multi-million, a multi-millionaire, you know. But I just thought like that, you know, in a way you could argue that Marshawn's silence has developed at least as much cultural traction, as much sort of protest um, value as, say, Michael Bennett and, and Kaepernick, that it's become a meme in the culture. and as the film argues at the end. At the end, the last sort of five minutes are these outtakes, essentially, from various athletes who, in my view, have received the baton of cultural legacy from Marshawn. That basically, I think it's become, you know, a part of the culture now. Whether it's even people like Belichick or you know Jason Garrett or various sort of white coaches, but also a lot of younger black athletes now. That fellow who's, uh, I think, a defensive back who ended up putting up those signs. And, Malcolm Jenkins. Uh, yeah. So, for instance, Malcolm Jenkins holding up a sign. Um, a whole series of younger black athletes, sort of football players, basketball players, even baseball players, who, in my view, have learned from Marshawn. There are a variety of ways of pushing back. And one of them, say, is holding up a sign or, or just or refusing to talk. It has, a, I think, a, a surprising power, you know, in this age that we, that we live in of, of the, the Internet and social media. You know, everyone's talking constantly. And by not talking, you actually can galvanize a lot of attention. You know, certain sort of famous writers like J.D. Salinger or Thomas Pynchon have become almost sort of more memorable for not talking than than for talking. And I think that in a cultural context, in a political context, because Marchand's silence has such force behind it that I think I'm, you know, in my view, as the film argues, that Marchand's silence has has history behind it, it has Oakland behind it, it has Buffalo behind it, it has Trump in there in some weird way, it has Kaepernick. And I think, you know, I think especially sort of of younger people, maybe older people, you know, like people in their 60s and 70s or whatever, they would just think the Marchands, you know, um, truculent, you know, or shy. But I do think the younger folks, you know, perhaps for especially people of color, they get that in that refusal to speak in the received language of the culture, he's doing something, I think, implicitly 
pretty exciting, pretty revolutionary, and pretty galvanizing. You know, uh, you ended the film with how uh, Marshawn has kind of like gave uh, other athletes a blueprint for how to deal with the press. And as someone who is the press, right. I definitely can see it, its its effects. I mean, some guys are legitimately shy, though. Exactly. I mean, they just don't want, but then you get some guys, I think, um, what's Mark, uh, Marcus Peters. Uh, right, who is a, uh, a relative of Marshawn's. Yeah, also from Oakland. Oakland exactly. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you can I mean, hear the Oakland in his. I don't know if people from Oakland think they have accents. But they do. They, they do. It's like, oh, oh, it's like Southern meets West Coast or something. Yes. It's yeah. a fascinating, there is an Oakland thing. Yes. And uh, how, how have you, how much did you learn about, you know, the way Marshawn has impacted how guys deal with the, with the press now? I mean, I'd like to interview you, Michael, because that's really <laughs> interesting because you've been, in a way, a working member of the press for, what, several years now? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Six, seven years Been more. covering the NFL just for, for, for three, but I've been in the business for coming up on, let's see, seven? Right. Six or seven? And so to me, that's really interesting that you have actually watched at ground level, in a way, a bit of a sea change that, you know, let's say that Marshawn start, you know, that Marshawn as silent sort of silent assassin, you might call it, yeah. started around 2011 or so, something like that, 2012, it became a cultural phenomenon. And here we are at 2020, you know, seven, eight years later, that you have been, you know, been a working member of the press over those last years, and especially covering the NFL, that you've actually have seen that sea change. That's really interesting to me. I mean, I don't, you know, it's not like I've interviewed a, a galaxy of of athletes, I'm just in a way one more fan who occasionally tries to to make a book or film out of all this stuff. But um, I just see it. Like I just, I'm trying to give an example recently. Well, for instance, um, I think it was um, Venus Williams at the U.S. Open in September. You know, not terribly long ago a few months ago that she, I think she had a not particularly great tournament or whatever, and she lost in the quarterfinals, and she was receiving a whole series of rather predictable and inherently sort of um, torturing questions, you know, just trying to get her to say something embarrassing or something like, oh, I, you know, the other player was better, just unbelievably predictable, cliche-ridden questions, and she just refused to talk. She just sort of shut down. And there's, in my view, there's no way that would have happened without the example of Marshawn. I mean, that's just one example. But here's a female athlete, a different sport, a different part of the country. And I think there are dozens of such examples. I mean, what do you see in the locker room, well, Michael? I, I think I think <clears throat> what's really interesting, and I've learned this more about athletes, is not only that Marshawn gave them the blueprint, is that they needed one. Because I, I feel like a lot of guys get up there and it's like, well, hey, hey, you got to go on the podium. I was what, like, all right, what am I supposed to say? I know. It's like, what am I? It's like, you're not supposed to say yeah. anything. But I mean, at the same time, you are. That's why there's an entire field of public relations to, of teach, you, to teach you what to say. Right. Because uh, how, as, I've, as I, I've been in the business, I learned how daunting being in front of the media is perceived to be. And, you know, you look at like um, why teams won't hire Kaepernick or, uh, you know, even if it's not something like race related, let's say someone like Michael Sam. Was the first right? Uh, the, the, right. Uh, who was gay? I think he was drafted in twenty fifteen. So yeah, maybe. And it was just like the fear is that people will have to get axed about, 
Like people, people in the NFL, or maybe this is in the NBA and all sports, are just afraid of getting asked about things. That's like the fear. Like, oh, we don't want people to know about this because then they'll ask us about it. Mm. And then what do we say? And then Marshawn just kind of gave the blueprint for like, yeah, you say whatever the hell you want to say. I know yeah. what you mean. For, for, for Why the most are we part. so afraid of our own personality? Or just don't say anything at exactly. all. Exactly. I don't think I've seen anyone really as committed to the Marshawn. I'm just serious. I won't get fined because I think what happens is, at least what Marshawn learned, is that that becomes the story. You know, right. during the Super Bowl, he's like, I'm just here so I don't get fined. Well, that led every talk show the next right. morning. Right. You know, I'm about that action stuff. When you have a catchphrase like that, it will just, we'll turn a story, we'll turn your non story into right. uh, a story. But I think the fact that he gave them what the, I didn't realize they needed it's really was that point. script. Like, hey, look, you when you go up there, you say whatever you want to say. You know, and I think, but he also does it, he's so authentic. I know. Too, that's the, that's the other part of it. Like when he said uh, the right, chicken thing. Right. Or uh, a, lot, a lot of people may not know that was unprompted. You know, when he was like, uh, I wasn't at the press conference <laughs> in Green Bay. Uh-huh. Uh, I think I was still in the locker room. But he basically was like, you know, the question was, are you going to play next year? I he, think he, he basically dodged off, it. He right. was like, you know what? I don't got to talk about that. <laughs> I want all the, I just went on this thing about like. Take care of your bodies. Yeah, about, take care of your mentals. Take care of your chicken. Yeah, yeah, it was just you know, it was just advocacy, player advocacy, just out of exactly because it was beautiful because he was speaking past the press to, in a way, ten thousand athletes, professional athletes across the country, and it was sort of, you know, it was kind of amazing where he was, in no way addressing the press, but using this medium in a way to just give some useful advice. Um, but I, I love this idea that he, that players were seeking a blueprint and that, <clears throat> you know, he's so comfortable in his own skin and he's so unafraid of himself. And anyway, it's kind of lovely that, um, you know, there is a whole history of, you know, maybe writers or painters or filmmakers, if they don't answer the question about the meaning of their work, that's thought to be a really cool and punk, you know, stance. You know, the, we don't, if we see, you know, a musician who releases a song, the, the we don't expect, say, you know, a singer or a rapper to explain the meaning of that song. They're supposed to refuse our request to explain it. And I think that what Marshawn has done, you know, these guys are, you know, our world, there are only a few people in the world who have their athletic skills, say Marshawn. Why do we expect them to explain what they just did on the field? I mean, I think part of Marshawn's stance, in my view, is to try to preserve something beautiful inside of himself that, you know, he's obviously is or was, you know, a world-class athlete who did things on the field that almost nobody can do. And then you're immediately asked, immediately after the game, to incredibly banalize and corporatize and flatten down the this amazing play into kind of corporate speak. Like, you know, it was third and two and we saw this and turned it into sort of bureaucratic, military, business language. And he's like, I ain't going to do that. Like the opening of the film is, uh, the very opening of the film, that Marshawn is 14 or 15, where the interviewer is asking him to ask a question of an Oakland Raider. You know, please ask a question, even just like, what color shoes 
do you wear? And Marshawn very pointedly says, I ain't got no questions. Mm. Like, I'll ask a question when I want to ask a question. Don't you dare force a question down my throat. I own myself. It's just so powerful. And it's crazy that you brought up the Super Bowl a little bit with the third and two. And there's a few. Or you mean second and one from the goal? Yes. (laughs) Chris, you got to get it right. (laughs) (laughs) Third and two. (laughs) Same difference. There is a few shots where we see the headset laying on the field. Right. You see it attached to Pete. Right. And you slow it down, and you have Marshawn walking towards the sideline, wherever he may be, and you have Pete Carroll looking. and They cross. Exactly. They cross, and you're wondering. What are they thinking? Exactly. And the relationships that we build as humans with other humans, that right there signified something that – we really don't know. And I know. With your film and how it ties into Marshawn, that really just resonates. Like, wow, what's going on here? I know. Because, of course, Marshawn won the ball. Of he's, course. He's been doing what the Seahawks asked of him on the football field every Sunday. Scoring touchdowns, beast mode, right? Sure. Giving and, his body, I mean, giving his body up for, you know, his whole life. Yeah. And <clears throat> that scene, I want to ask you, what do you perceive that relationship to be especially once you put the film out and after you've watched it again, you see that moment where the headset's on the ground, Marshawn walking right by Coach Carroll. And are there words Those said, looks there those, are. That look, Pete Carroll. Carroll's you, look just looks ashen. He just he just crestfallen. Yes. And Marshawn, I think, I have to go back and look at the frame, but he has an amazing kind of cat that ate the canary smile. There's an unmistakable... He's definitely like smirking. Almost. It's a smirk yes. is a perfect word. It's like he's like, told you so, mm. told you so. And I think the opening of that chapter has an epigraph from Louis Armstrong where somebody asks him, what's new? And that Louis Armstrong says, nothing new. White man's still ahead. Mm. You know, it's kind of a brutal line. And um, but anyway, like your question is, what do they? What is Marshawn thinking? Yeah, what do you think he is thinking? And also, what do you think that relationship between those two is, if they even have one off the football field? Because you know, on the football field, it was all ha ha, give the right. ball, you know. But was there anything you sensed or saw from Marshawn just in putting the film together that maybe they had something outside of the game? Right. Well, I definitely want to ask Michael because he would know more from talking to players, talking to coaches, talking to Marshawn. But, you know, it's again, I had I had all of 10 minutes access to Marshawn in yep. Oakland in August. But um, a lot of it is, of course, is my own speculation. But, you know, I'm struck by this moment when Marshawn came back to the Seahawks this year where Pete Carroll and John Schneider and Marshawn all explain in their different ways why and how Marshawn was coming back. And I was struck by how differently Carroll and Marshawn spoke about it. I don't know if you were struck by this too, Mike, but I don't know if I am am remembering it quite right, but it was something like Carroll said, something like that we have a lot of great history between us Something close to that. And Marshawn said it very differently. He says, yeah, I'm going back to Seattle. We got some unfinished business. 
Mm-hmm. That's very different from a lot of great history together. Yes. Unfinished business is an unmistakable shot across the bow to second and one from the goal. Uh, second and goal <laughs> from the one. Yes. <laughs> like to me, it's like, because to me, it was this amazing hope that, you know, they only had to win, you know, three or four games. And, you know, the idea, of course, the impossible Disney fantasy would be, of course, they're at the Super Bowl again and he finally gets the damn ball. Yeah. And there were some glimmers of that as they would hand the ball to him in the last few games. So uh, to me, the way I read the moment is that Carroll, in his own way, is over-invested in his own cleverness. So that to me, and Marshawn has his own reading of it, as the film makes clear, is that, you know, I think he thinks they, you know, he that on some deep unconscious level, Carol and his his play caller, um, what's his name? Oh, Bevel at the time? Bevel, yeah. yeah. You know, um, like on some level, they wanted Russell Wilson to get the laurels. I think that's possible on an unconscious level. I think a part of it, too, is Pete Carroll wanting the props of, oh, what a brilliant call. Mm. Instead of doing the obvious thing, God forbid, handing the ball to Marshawn, let's call a slant. Whereas, in fact, because you know, he's coaching against a coaching legend, Belichick, let's outsmart him. And basically, if that play goes through, then Pete Carroll is in the Hall of Fame, you know, to win two Super Bowls, he would be in the Hall of Fame, you know. And so, to me, it's sort of, um, I don't know, I, I don't, what is their relationship? I think, you know, I'm, I guess I want to sort of cheat and ask, ask Mike, <laughs> and it's like, what's your observation? Is It sounds like what we were saying off, off mic a little bit, Mike, was that, that, that you were saying that, like, there is a, a relationship there. There is, there are positive feelings that the players have toward toward Carroll. Yeah, because he he uh, welcomes uh, individuality, which is that's not the case in every NFL locker. Hardly. There's a lot of guys right. uh, running it like old school blue collar tough guy. I mean the the, the guy who's just total got, Belichick. Yeah. yeah. Well, even uh, yes, it's basically. Like Belichick puts the no fun in the no fun league, right? For for sure. Whereas right. Pete Carroll is like he just you know they're coaching the Pro Bowl uh, this this weekend, and you know Carroll brought. A basketball hoop to Orlando. Uh-huh. So when he held the team meetings for the NFC, you know he had guys shooting baskets because that's who who he is. You uh-huh. know, and also one of our guys, the Athletic, just did an anonymous poll with athletes at the Pro Bowl, um, and one of the questions was, "Who, what coach would you most like to play for that's not your own?" And Pete was like finished second. Mm. Uh, I wonder who I came think, in first. Uh, Andy Reid uh, came in first. Did yeah. Reid is that popular? Well, I think probably all of the guys on offense. I said uh, Andy <laughs> Reid because Patrick Mahomes, they're in the Super oh, Bowl. Oh, I, see. I uh, see. Some of that was probably not a personality thing as much as it was like, man, Andy's really good with offense. You know, I he gotcha. was good with Kevin Cobb, Michael Vick, Donovan McNabb, Alex Smith, now Patrick Mahomes. Teddy's a great offensive mind. Yeah, whereas I think the guys who, in, on the Pete Carroll, uh, it probably was defensive guys. It's anonymous, so we don't know. Sure. Uh, it's probably defensive guys and guys who really are in situations where they're asked to be robotic. Mm. Right. And, and they can't really show their personality. Get me to Seattle and I can hang out, right. Yeah, and I can just be whoever I am. Because right. that was the, the thing about, that's why the I think, now, Get, not in a conspiracy theory. I'm just kind of letting my thought out here. The the whole Seahawks defense became so popular nationally because it was a bunch of guys who were being who they were. Whether where you were reserved like Earl Thomas or outspoken like Richard or you know um, political like po- Ben political yeah. like like Mike or uh, just 
incredibly authentic, like um, like Marshawn, or just like insightful slash political, like Doug Baldwin. I know it was amazing. Where they were corny, like Russ. Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> you were just what, what you were. It was like make... a great sitcom, wasn't it? Like we yeah. had so many characters oh, yeah. out there. Oh, and at, at times it's just like tragic. Uh, Horror film on the one. That's a good point. Uh, also, there was, there was an infighting and everything. So I, I think of the relationship with Pete. He's in there too. He embraces that. Right. But it's at the same time, um, I think the reason why a lot of those relationships ended kind of rocky, uh, especially with like um, Sherman. with Mike and, and Sherman, is because it got to a point where it's like, okay, I create not created a monster. I don't want to say that, but like what he allowed them to be, he ultimately could not. Control. You know, they, yeah, couldn't control it. I agree. And he's still their boss at the end of the day. You know. And I, also, I do think crucial for me is Super Bowl Forty Nine because I do think just the, the the toxicity of that, the sadness of that, in my understanding, I think it did permeate. As Carol perhaps never totally owned it as like you know, I fucked up. You know, like my bad. Let's can we move on? But um, so I think the point that you were saying either on on in the show or elsewhere is that. Do you have a sense of what the relationship is between Carol and Marshawn? Is it a relatively authentic and relatively positive one? I think most of the relationship that he has with all those guys are authentic and real. And I think that people associate like real in this sense with something that's always positive. Yeah, it doesn't And, right, and when point. you really break down a relationship, you know. Anything, and yeah. Yeah, it's usually not 100% positive because of a, a, a strong relationship, you're, there's a lot of honesty. Good point. With, with one another. That's a great and point. Honesty does not always result in right. something positive. Right. Sometimes that involves telling people hard truths about right. each other. It's a great and point. And transparency. And that's definitely going to have bumps in the road along the right. way. And that's the, the thing I've kind of... I mean, his relationships are going to be stronger with some guys than others. You know, like if... if Whose who's right. retirement party was he... I think it was at Cliff's retirement party... Uh, but I think like some other guys, some other guys have had stuff. You know, Pete's not there, right? But, Interesting. But I think uh, the main thing, the theme that I think is consistent with all of those guys who are kind of on that core, is that it is a real relationship. In that there's going to be some 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 rocky stuff going on. There's going to be some some great moments because that's what a real relationship. It's a beautiful. Is. It's no no sad. relationship is just you know the wedding the whole time or the honeymoon. Uh-huh. Sometimes you guys are going to wake up and fight one day. Exactly. You know, and I think the Seahawks were a really great example of that. And they were, because also half those dudes are just so damn edgy. It, you know, just, that's, that's their, yeah, in their very a, nature, there's just, they're just, yeah. are tweaked incredibly high. Yeah, because to play football, <laughs> you got to be crazy. I've said exactly. that on this show before. Sure. You know, it's like getting into a car crash, you know, for an hour. Right. You know, I know you willingly. Mean. I know what you mean. So, yeah, I think across the board, whether it's Marshawn, whether it's Sherm, whether it's, whether it's Doug, right. Mike B, Cliff, KJ, whoever, <laughs> it, you can just see that, like, authenticity. They're mad men. I know, to play yeah. the game. Yeah, so I think that, that's kind of the, the without knowing those two super well. I mean, these, these aren't two dudes I get one on one very often. No. I've talked to Marshawn one on one for a total of about, I think, 10 seconds. Uh, <laughs> so I should feel yeah. great about Yeah, that's what, when you said 10 or 15 minutes, you're I was like, like, whoa, damn. Man. I know what you mean. And all I did was ask him if he was listening to a song and I could hear the song. And I was like, hey, is that such and such artist? And he was like, what'd you say? I was like, is that such and such? He was like, oh, yeah. And that was it. That was it. That, that was. That, that, that you have it. not that you that you never broke through the uh, wall with no, him at all. No, it was because when he came back this most this last time, it right. was it he was such it was theater, sure, you know, and everyone wanted a, a piece of it and because right. we're in the business of like my, my company's not really in the business of it, like getting clicks and hits and stuff right. like that. And Marshawn content is like, it's a, he's a content machine, whether he wants <laughs> to be or not, whether he sure. says nothing, whether he's standing there, whether I know what you mean dances or whatever. Right. So I couldn't really get the. The time, and he was only here for like three weeks, sure, or, or and something then, like that. When he, when he was here earlier, 
you weren't I was covering not, the Seahawks. I was not yet. here. I got right. here. I got here in 2017, and right. by then he was retired sure. on, on camels in England, and sure and came back to get a trade to sure. to the Raiders. Sure. Yeah, but I I I really love your point about it was is an authentic relationship that seems like plenty, rather than a kind of fictional thing, and that um, yeah, I mean even in the moment between Carol and Lynch in Super Bowl 49, there's even amazingly. Um, a sign, I don't know if you caught this up on the scoreboard that we actually zoom in on it. At Super Bowl 49, as Marshawn and Carol pass each other, there's not only this crestfallen look between them, but up on the scoreboard, believe it or not, is this huge sign that says something like, call if you need help. I remember seeing that. You remember seeing yes. that? Oh, I didn't even and catch thought, that. And I thought the irony in that, I remember saying that. It was that, like too wow. perfect. And I remember saying that. Wow, that was perfectly. Exactly. It's I like, didn't even mention that when I was bringing that's up the funny. whole them crossing. I forgot about that, but that's when funny. you brought it up just now, I remember seeing that visual. I know, and, and I that said, we zoomed in on it. It was sort timing. of too perfect. Because, you know, it's all about, as they say, sort of communication and miscommunication. You know, the thing I was sort of fantasizing about, which is not something that Russell is going to do, is like, why did Russell not audible out of that call? That was my he next He would have question. been, a, he, <laughs> we would have loved him forever because he would have broken out of Russell, the good citizen. Like, like you know, can you imagine if Russ comes in, the play was a, the call is a pass, f*** that sh We're handing the ball to Marshawn. Like, they would have loved him forever. Yeah. If you're looking skeptical, though, no, Michael, I was No, I was thinking just, of, well, Russ definitely not going to swear. It would never swear. happen. Well, he's not going to swear. Uh, oh, that's true. <laughs> uh, no, it reminds me of, I think LeBron did that a few years ago in the playoffs. They had a play drawn up, and he nixed the play, As ran well. a play, called a play for himself, hit the game winner, and then the oh, press conference, yeah, I think it was against Chicago. the Bulls. Yeah, yeah the play that. design. This was when he was still at This was when he was in Cleveland. Uh-huh. They, uh, I think they the coach is David Blatt. Yes. Is yeah. the coach. They designed a play for LeBron to inbound the ball. Yes. LeBron, LeBron. nixes that, has <laughs> someone else inbound the ball catches to LeBron, it. catches it, shoots it, game over. Corner three. And in the press conference, throws his coach under the bus and was like, yeah, no, the play was actually for me to inbound it. I switched that. Uh yeah, I love it. But Russ, I don't think, would ever. That would be no. one of those things that, like. Now might, might Russ, because I think the Russell audibles a lot now, yeah, right? I just don't think he would let us know that that's the case. Because you're, your, your, you know, you're, you're throwing your coach under the bus. It's a good point. You, but, you know, yeah. as a quarterback, though, aren't you allowed to audible? Yes. 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 You but know, in that, obviously. In that scenario, though, it's just. Uh, that's pretty high stakes. Yeah. Well, just. The, you're. you're He's like publicly uh, undermining the the coach's authority if you bring it up willingly. That's a good point. In that way, which is what LeBron was doing, which is stuff like that is why they fired David. Right. Uh, (laughs) While they were in first place. Right. Because it was just like, you know, our our best player is already smarter than the coach. Exactly. Like, what do we we need you for? (laughs) Exactly. And I I think part of uh, Richard Sherman's real topical lately because he's going to the Super Bowl. I think part of why he got cut ultimately is that he believed he was smarter than the people running the Seahawks. Right. And let that be known publicly. And we're just like, all right, dude, you're out of here. I know you your mean. Achilles just gave us a reason to get you, get you right, uh, right, uh, up, up out of here. I, don't know I know how you got mean. to got to Sherm from, yeah. from Marshawn. Well, no, it, it all fits. Yeah. It all fits. It's yeah. that um that somehow I know what you mean that uh there was some point you made that I wanted to build on, but anyway, that I think what what Russ could have done is I mean I don't know if you're going to audible with 30 seconds to go, but you know he could have just audible out of it without making or a big call deal. Time out. Yeah. If you had a timeout left, I forget. They had, they had. You know, and it's sort of like, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, you know, 2020 hindsight. You know, and also it's not, again, we never know, but that was your first reaction. Why not Why? audible? Hello. Yeah, I said that. 
I don't know how many times. I know. It's just so painful. Undermining your coach and what if I sc- – I mean – I know what you mean. Like, maybe it's possible that Marshawn fumbles. That's not yeah, something that Marshawn does. Exactly. But, you know, anyway. But I think the people would have <laughs> rather seen Marshawn cough it up than at least they're attempting to run the ball. And they mean. can grill Marshawn on it. And, oh, he dropped – Grilling Marshawn. Then – well, yeah, right. Right. Other than Russ just throwing it Ugh. with one yard to go. And you have someone that is going to get you a yard – you have a few more tries. I know. At least, at least give him an opportunity. There's that wonderful moment where Bruce Irvin is being oh, man. interviewed in the locker room that after, and deep. his eyes look so. He was crying. Hey, he was crying, and he just said, "You know, we got the best back in the league." He goes, "It's not even that we're not even on the one that we're on the point five. Yeah, he said that. Yeah. It just, it just, he can't even believe it. Can't fathom what just happened. I'm curious to ask you guys. At one point, Luke Wilson says somebody broke their hand and the locker room do you guys happen to know who i have an idea but i yeah i can't you can't say yeah i've I've dug i've dug into that it's i mean it's just stories from that year just so 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 great i can imagine there there is a great espn 30 for 30 there somewhere or maybe we'll make our our own show out of it yeah man no that'd be great yeah i think uh we got anything else no man again we want to thank you for coming thanks a million you guys great to chat before we get out here is there anything else you would like to add before we let you go anything you want to plug you got a lot of works. Yeah, I know. Out. Well, just you know, the Lynch film is out. I, I don't. I'm not here. You know, I, I gave you guys some of my previous books, so um, yeah. I Thank hope you. You, you enjoy guys them. haven't checked out Lynch: A History. Uh, please <clears throat> go do. Was it 80 minutes? Run time 84. 84. Yeah. 84 minutes. Yeah. yeah, doesn't even take that. Take up that much there of your time. Uh, worth it for Seahawks fans. Close your eyes during the Super Bowl 49 part, <laughs> or throw popcorn at the screen. Yeah, yeah. do do whatever. Exactly. Just skip it maybe because you already you know what go. happens. I know, uh, alas. But yeah. the, oh, when they play it twelve times, as you said, yeah, no, I know. Uh, it's just a tor- torture. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it. Yeah, dark day. Anyway, David Shields, Thanks thank again, you, you guys uh, so much. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by the Athletic. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike Dugar. Chris, where can they follow you? You can follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206 and that's CKID206. Uh, thank you, David. We appreciate you. Maybe we got a Russ movie. Uh, I like the Russ idea. idea. Call me that, for that. Let's do that. Absolutely. T- t- I'm together. serious. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, guys. On that note, we're out. Time to you.